At PackUp, our goal is to get people outside faster and with more confidence, while increasing safety and enjoyment in the outdoors. Forgetting a piece of gear might lead to a funny story later, but it could also be life-threatening. Whether you are a complete novice or an experienced multi-sport adventurer, PackUp takes the guesswork out of trip preparation by creating unique, customizable packing lists for every trip based on your activities and accommodations. You can collaborate with others on group trips and manage all your gear in your own personalized gear closet. Learn more at GetPackUp.com. Hello and welcome back to Aliens, UFOs, and Ghost Stories where we like to discuss everything paranormal. Whatsoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. You know that very well. Hello and welcome back to Aliens, UFOs, and Ghost Stories. Today I am joined by my new friend, Deb Cobble. Uh, Deb is an author of a book called Extraordinary Contact, Life Beyond Intruders. It's an exceptional book. It's one of the best I've ever read on the subject. And if you don't recognize the name Deb Cobble, you might recognize her uh, from another book that we're going to talk a lot more about later that was written by a legendary uh, journalist and ufologist, Bud Hopkins. Uh, so, Deb, would you like to say hi? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am absolutely thrilled. Um, so, I didn't tell you this before, but I've been dreaming about doing this for a long time. And before I started, I made a list of my top 10 uh, biggest guests that I, I, that I could ever possibly get on the show. Deb was number one. I didn't oh. think I didn't think she would ever say yes. You know, oh, there's my. a you know who's number three is somebody who's a very close friend of yours. Her name is Linda Moulton Howe. Uh-huh. Linda um, wrote up a very, very, very uh, beautiful piece. It's actually fe- featured on the back of the book. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and for Linda to have done that should speak volume. So if, if, if you're not very up with ufology, if you're not really, um, if you haven't done research in the field, that is a very, very big deal because she wouldn't have done that um, for anybody else. I don't, I mean, she's hardly ever done it, period. Um, Linda is one of my heroes. I mean, she, she, is, she is my hero in, in this field. Uh, as far as a journalist, I mean, she's exceptional. Um, and really quick, if, if you guys are interested in learning more about Linda Moulton Howe, she has a website and a YouTube page called Earth Files, and it is absolutely far and away the most informative um, journalism on the subject, period. I mean, would you agree that, that it's oh, yeah. outstanding? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's all kinds of there's, you know, there's all kinds of reports on there that she just, you know, brings forth to everybody. Every day, good new content, new articles about all kinds of stuff, scientific stuff, the UFO stuff. I mean, just just everything. Every Wednesday night, guys, go to YouTube, Earth Files, give her a follow. It doesn't cost you anything. Give her a like. Tell your friends about it. It's absolutely exceptional. If you like what we're doing here, 
you will absolutely love what Linda's doing with Earth Files. So um, enough about Linda. Linda, if you ever hear this, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> I do. With, I love her. Up with light and down with entropy. I hope mm-hmm. I, I hope I said that right. That's uh, that's something that she says almost every single episode. Onward so, and upward. <laughs> onward and upward. Yes, absolutely. Um, so anyway, um, I was really hoping um, because you are such an outstanding writer, um, and I guess I should have asked you this before, if if you're tired of telling the story, by all means, we can go in a different direction. Is it is it okay if we just tell our new listeners? Oh yes, I mean okay. I've what the the pivotal event you know that became Intruders that happened in 1983. What's well, almost 40 years ago? Um, there is an entire new generation here in out here in ufology now that probably don't know who I am or anything about that event. And uh, I would venture to say a lot of them probably haven't read Intruders. So, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a part of my life and it's a part of me. And I don't get tired of telling it, you know, at all. Now, early on when I was young and going around talking with Bud, I... It, it made me more anxious. I had a lot more anxiety when I was telling the story and talking about it, but I've learned how to not make it first person in my mind. Like I don't relive it again. Like I used to in the beginning I've learned, but no. Yeah. I think, well, you know, it's one of the reasons I wrote extraordinary contact and, and it was just where it dovetailed with the re-release of missing time and intruders through the same publishing company, and that was not planned. So I feel like, uh, you know, there was some uh, outside help there (laughs) for a whole new generation because I think that Bud's work is um, important in the history of ufology. And if anybody is really serious about investigating, as well as people who've experienced it, you know, those books that he wrote are are must-reads as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, yeah, guys, if you, if you want to educate yourself um, about this, uh, you know, niche kind of subject, that's a great, great place to start. Uh, Bud Hopkins, Linda Moulton Howe, Richard Dolan, I mean, you name it. Uh, there, there's so many outstanding sources. Um, so could you take us back to that day, Deb, uh, that night, sure. um, if yeah. you don't mind? Okay. Nope, I don't mind at all. Thank you so I much. Was just- you're welcome. I appreciate you asking. Um, I'm just grateful that somebody still wants to hear me talk. Everybody does. But, I mean, there's uh, a reason that there's a reason people are reaching out to you on a weekly basis, I would assume. Well, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but I'm, I was a single mom at the time. This was in 1983. My kids were little, you know, three, four years old, somewhere around in there. And uh, I w- had just moved back home with my parents. And was uh, doing some, uh, I wasn't doing the sewing. I was the pattern cutter outer for a friend of mine who was actually a seamstress and made costumes. And she was giving me a little extra side money, which helped my parents. So I was getting ready to go cut some patterns out for my neighbor slash friend. And uh, I was standing at the kitchen sink, looking out the window, uh, washing my hands and getting ready to leave. And I looked up and noticed that there was an unusual light 
coming out of the pool pump house. Mom and dad had a swimming pool in the backyard. Uh, we we laughingly called it the cement pond because, you know, Beverly Hillbillies and all that, you know, <laughs> they're a big pool. So, but um, I noticed the strange light. And at the time, I really wasn't, I, it, it wasn't a month for the forefront of my mind why it struck me odd, other than the fact that it, the door seemed to be open, which I knew wouldn't, shouldn't be. And uh, I mentioned it to my mom and I said, hey, that pump house, you know, the light's on out there. And she's like, don't worry about it. Your father, when he gets home from work, he can shut it off. And I'm like, okay. Well, I finished what I was doing. And a few minutes later, I was in my car. And before I decided to go to Deanna's, which was just one street behind us, um, I thought, you know what, I'm still thinking about that light. And so I decided to drive along the side of the house because mom and dad's house was a, a sandstone tri-level and uh, the driveway was like a fork and one part went to the up the front of the house. But then other, the, the other fork of it went alongside of the house through the backyard and there was a turnaround that back there behind the swimming pool where my father's workshop was. And in that workshop were multiple thousands of dollars of Indian motorcycles and um, a couple of little British race cars, uh, uh, little like, they look like MGs, Alpine Sunbeams, that's what they were called. He was restoring those and a bunch of other stuff that, you know, money stuff. So I drove back then I checked everything out as I drove around the turnaround and I, the, the back looked normal. I noticed that the pedestrian door to the garage that was attached to the house was open. But instead of stopping, I just went ahead on over to Deanna's and I called mom when I got there. And I said, hey, the pedestrian door of the garage is open. And I said, you know what that means? We kept our dog out in the garage at night. And so I knew she had to be out. And again, mom says, don't worry about it. Your dad can take care of it when he gets home. I'll just lock the doors. And I'm like, okay, if you're sure. So I hung up the phone and she called right back. And she sounded really weird. She sounded uh, nervous. And she said, uh, I need you to come home right now. And I got nervous because my mom, she never did that. She was, that was out of character for her. And I'm like, why? And she said, I just need you to come home right now. <clears throat> and my friend's husband and my friend were kind of overhearing our brief conversation and at one point, Larry yells over my shoulder to tell her to call the police. That's what they get paid for. And she heard him and he said, um, and, and she said, no, I don't want anybody here but you. And I'm like, okay. So I hung up the phone and I told my friends I'll be right back. And I hurried on back home. So when I got there, I pulled up the side of the house. I got out, went into the uh, room that was closest to the driveway. We called it the Florida room. It was a room daddy added on to the house after we moved there. And um, <clears throat> I walked over to the trash compactor and I picked up dad's shotgun, which was, that's where he kept it. And my mom says, you know, that's not loaded, right? And I'm like, of course I do. Cause I'm the one that asked it not to be loaded when I moved in because of my kids. Uh, but I said something to the effect of uh, whoever's out there doesn't know it's loaded. I can get close enough to them to hit them with it before they realize it, you know? So, um, I went out there and I looked at the pump house and I decided to go and everything looked fine. I went back uh, by the workshop because I was concerned about burglars, I aliens or UFOs or any other weird stuff. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I was thinking of 
prowlers or axe murder humans, you know. <laughs> or somebody so, breaking in to steal your dad's very, very exactly. uh, valuable uh, motorcycles and race uh-huh. cars. Or, or whatever. Yeah, I was. it was no thoughts of UFOs or any of that. Um, I did notice that my dog was under dad's ladder truck, which was out there parked in the circle. And I tried to get her to come out to me, but she would not. So I'm like, fine, stay there. Um, so I walked across the yard, still not seeing anything. And I went into the garage door that was open there, the house that was attached to the house. I flipped the light on and I, the only thing in there was, um, a set of mattresses leaned up against the wall. So obviously there was nobody in there. If there was, they would have to be hiding behind those mattresses. So I'm, uh, kind of sneaking up on them, uh, cussing and whatnot. And all of a sudden I felt hot and weird. And I thought, Oh my God, I got to get out of here. And I remember turning to run back out that pedestrian door, feeling all freaked out. And, uh, something hit me in the chest. Well, chest area, like solar plexus. I think somebody pointed out to me one time, um, this light was so bright and so intense that I know that my eyes were closed. I mean, it would be an automatic reaction, but yet I could still see it. I couldn't get away from it and I couldn't move. Mm. I started to feel like my whole body was shaking and then the shaking kind of condensed into this fine vibrating and it was so intense that I almost thought at one point I could feel each individual molecule of my body. And uh, I and it felt like time stopped. And I don't know how to dis- describe the thought in my head other than to say I have absolutely no idea how long I was in that condition. I have no idea how long I was in that state. To me, it seemed as if I couldn't have tolerated that for long without it killing me. But I don't know how long I was like that. But at some point, the vibrating slowed down and then stopped and the light intensity quickly got better but uh at that point then i was kind of what i could see but it was like my vision had splotches in them like flash bulbs when you get get a picture uh, you know and it leaves those little splotches in your vision and i was outside of the doorway now out on the cement And I don't know, I don't remember how I got there. Um, I remember feeling someone pulling down on my right shoulder. And I felt some burning sensation in my ear, my right ear. And in my brain, uh, at one point, I remember thinking, oh, my God, I'm dead. You know, like, this is how it feels to be dead. I'm thinking I'm dead. And... um, in my brain I, or in my mind, I'm visualizing uh, like a, a knitting needle that's so hot that it's glowing. And that's what it felt like in my head. And um, sorry. And then um, <clears throat> I, I heard a voice, but I didn't see anybody. And I heard a voice that said it was unfortunate that I had to feel pain. And that I, I'm not sure of the sequence, but then I noticed there was a first, I I noticed that there were movement in mom's backyard. And I thought to myself, 
why are these kids in my mom and dad's backyard? They look like little kids and there were six of them and they seemed to come from all different parts of the yard and they kind of lined up in front of me out further uh, in the yard out by the driveway and they all once they lined up they all kind of just glided across the yard they were coming at towards me but not directly at me like I was in they were in front of me and I was watching them and then I as I was watching them that's when I noticed this thing in the yard we call it a craft but in retrospect I feel like that even six little kids couldn't get in that thing and fly anywhere because they'd be, you know, butt up against each other. It was small. It wasn't much bigger than like a mini barn at the Lowe's parking lot, you know, that kind of side. It wasn't much bigger than the pump house swimming pool. So kind of like a shed. Yeah, Yeah. only it was shaped like an egg on its bottom, you know, like up and down with it being smaller at the top and wider at the bottom. And there were things coming off of it out of the middle of it that uh, they look too skinny to be able to support weight. So I'm not sure what they were doing. Uh, and at one point I didn't know whether it was my eyes or if this thing was actually moving a little bit, kind of like a bobber on a real smooth, calm Lake, this little waver. But like I said, I, I didn't know for sure whether it was that thing or me that why, you know, my eyes, And there was a ball of light out in front of me about the size of a basketball. And it was a much softer light that I could look at. didn't hurt. And it was probably about as tall as I am off the ground. I'm five foot three. And it it was high. It was up there next to this thing. And then it went down real slow and then it came back up. And for whatever reason, I don't know. I thought it was looking at me. And I don't know why. And uh, I don't remember seeing those little guys or, well, the kids going into this thing. But I do remember at one point thinking of my own kids and thinking, oh, my God, my kids. And again, that voice, I didn't see anybody, but a voice said to me, your children are fine. And then I don't remember anything after that until I heard my name being called. And as soon as I heard my name be called, it was like somebody just snapped a finger. And I remember all I could move. I turned and I started to walk towards the steps that would lead up to the upper patio, which was in front of the kitchen door. So as I'm walking along this patio and then I hit the steps and I walk up and I see my mom is kind of hanging out the door a little bit. And she says, is everything okay?" And I said, yeah, everything's cool. But at that point, I no longer wanted to uh, cut patterns. I wanted to get wet and because I just felt weird. Keeping in mind now, I don't remember any of this that just happened to me at this point. I feel weird. I feel like something weird happened, but I don't know what it is. And I'm just like, I, I just don't want to cut pattern. I don't want to. Let's just swim. So I called my friend and I can't remember whether I went over there and got him or they came over, but whichever it was they she agreed yeah uh i'd rather swim too and she brought her uh teenage daughter with her and so we were walking across the backyard a little bit later we were walking across the backyard with in our bathing suits and as we're walking across the backyard towards the swimming pool her daughter steps on something in the yard and she was complaining that her foot was 
at first it stung, then it burned, then it was numb. She complained that her foot and leg were numb. And her mom thought maybe she stepped on a bee or something. And we looked her foot all over to see if there was the stinger in there and we didn't see anything. So her mom's like, well, get in the pool is cold. The cool water will make it feel better, you know. And not too long after we got in the pool, maybe 10 minutes or so, uh, all three of us started feeling nauseated and I was already starting to get a headache and my eyes were starting to burn. And then I started noticing that there were like halos around the lights because by now it's dark out and the outside lights are on. And my friend, she's like, Hey, let's go to white castle. Maybe, you know, if we get something to eat, we'll feel better. And I thought that sounded like a good idea at first. I don't think we actually went through with it. I think we ended up, they just went home and I went to bed. But uh, the next morning when I woke up, <clears throat> my eyes were so swollen, I couldn't open them. And they were in such, they were, I was in so much pain that my mother took me to the emergency room. And when we were at the emergency room, there happened to be an actual eye doctor in there. I don't know what he was doing in there, but uh, he asked my mother if I could take if he could take me across the street, she could take me to his office across the street. And uh, because he had better equipment over there and he could look at me, he could examine me better there. So my mom did. And the first thing he says to me when uh, he looks in my eyes is, have you looked into the arc of a welder's torch? And I'm like, no, I have not. And I'm not saying anything about the light because still, I don't remember. Now, a couple of days, you know, he gives me medicine for... Um, conjunctivitis I think he, he thought that's what it was and it was really bad and I do remember him saying he was surprised that I didn't have symptoms you know like the day before which I hadn't until that night um anyway a couple of days pass and it's fourth of July weekend and the whole family is coming over to swim and um <clears throat> we uh all of the grownups are in the kitchen getting everything ready for the barbecue, you know, hot dogs, hamburgers, all that. The kids all run through the house and out into the backyard to go swimming. And my oldest nephew comes running back in and he says, uh, uh, Grandma, what's wrong with your backyard? And my mom was like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, look. So we all put everything down and ran out there. And there was that mark in the yard. It was huge. I mean, it was eight feet in diameter circle. And it had a swath coming off one end of it that was 49 feet long and ended in a perfect arc. And it was like two feet wide, exactly all the way down. And the grass was kind of a grayish brown color. It just kind of laid down over the dirt. And the dirt was like rock hard and it smelled kind of weird. Eventually I realized it smelled weird. Um <clears throat> Well, the first thing my mom says is, oh, my God, uh, you know, that's where our UFO landed. And she was giggling and she thought it was funny. And I looked at her and I remember thinking, what is wrong with you? Why would you think why would you say that? And why do you think it's funny? And everybody's laughing and I'm looking at it. And it it was like somebody slapped me in the face and woke me up. And that moment I remembered I started to remember a lot of stuff. I remembered the other night. I remember, you know, I remembered that a couple nights before. I remembered the light. I kept seeing this superimposed image of big black eyes over this mark. I was remembering for uh, several weeks after that, memories were flooding back of all kinds of stuff. But uh, 
And I always say, I think about that. That moment is when I pretty much had a nervous breakdown at the start. Uh, I, uh, and I just want to say real quickly before I forget, my eyes after that night were never the same. Uh, but in my 30s, I was diagnosed with macular degeneration and cataracts. And by the time I hit 50, I had completely new lenses. I have acrylic lens implants because mine were so trashed. And my macular degeneration is stable, but I have to be dilated every six months for the rest of my life. And I've always had sort of one a hazel eye and one blue eye. And now it's more prominent now, the two different color eyes. And my vision went way far, um, farsighted. And when I was like 30 years old, I was, I, I needed three plus, 3.0 plus to read. So uh, I can't prove that, that that was that night that did that to my eyes, but there's no other, my eyes were fine before that. I didn't even wear glasses before that. And there's the only other person in my family who had macular degeneration was my older sister who also had her own close contact in 1965. So, <clears throat> you know, we're the only two. Our eyes got wrecked. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there before I forgot it because I think it's important. Um, though, like I said, it's anecdotal because I don't have any proof. But, I mean, it's kind of unusual to be that jacked up that young. <laughs> I mean, but, I, uh, sorry to jump in really quick. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, what more proof do you guys need? I mean, um, you had an ophthalmologist. Am I, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, I think so. Um, he thought that you were staring into a, um, a welder's torch. And the significance of that is uh, whatever Deb saw that evening was so bright and so powerful that an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor thought that she was next to or with or just staring at um, a welder's torch, which severely, severely damaged her eyes. And also to her sister, who um, was 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 also abducted. I, I just want to clarify a little bit. So to me, that that's uh, that's proof. I mean, you were very young. I mean, to have cataracts and that type of severe damage so young, it's it's. Very, very unusual. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. Uh, so, um, but right prior to the June 30, 83 incident, I had picked a book up in the library called Missing Time, written by Bud Hopkins. Um, that was a point in my life where the library books were free, and I had two little kids, and I read to them a lot. So I, I was a frequent flyer at the library, and I would grab stacks of books, and uh, that was in there. I quickly realized what it was about as I tried to read this book, I would have, and I was open to it, but I I would have a panic attack after, uh, you know, trying to read a chapter, even sometimes a few paragraphs and I'd have to stop. And I went to the emergency room probably at least twice because of that book <laughs> over a period of, you know, a couple of weeks thinking that I was having a heart attack when in fact it was a panic attack to the point where my mom made the comments, you know, you need to take that book back to the library because we can't keep doing this. <laughs> so, um, 
But I remembered another thing that I remembered out in the yard that day was the book Missing Time came right back to me because I knew there was a place in the back of that book where there was an address that you could write to the man who wrote the book if you thought you'd had that kind of experience. Well, I, I, I'm sure there was something nagging at me that that I thought I had that kind of experience, but in the front of my mind, I was thinking about my older sister and her experience in 65, um, which, you know, which was a pretty cool experience, I thought. And uh, I, so when I wrote the letter to Bud, I went back to the library and got the address. And when I wrote a letter to him, 14 page long letter, I actually told him about her event in 65 first kind of and I didn't ask her so see that's why later when I finished the first book and she wanted to come and be a part of it I'm like no write your own book this one's already done and she and they and I told you they guilted me into it that's how because I I had written to her I mean I'd written to Bud about her and didn't ask her first so, <laughs> so that's how I got guilted but um anyway I gave the letter uh, at the end of the letter I I wrote, oh, and by the way, this happened. And I, I had a bunch of Polaroid pictures of the mark in the yard and stuff. <clears throat> and then I gave it to my mom and I, I asked her to mail it. And I guess she carried it around. I didn't know this for years. She carried it around in her purse for weeks, a couple weeks at least, and had no intention whatsoever of mailing it. And then she said she was mailing bills one day and at the mailbox and something kept telling her, Debbie's letter's in your purse. You need to mail it. And so she pulled it out and she said, I begrudgingly put it in the mailbox. And <clears throat> it was, I don't know, weeks had passed and I just never thought I'd hear from him. I'd never written to anybody before who wrote a book and I felt kind of silly. But uh, I came home from being out with friends one night and my mom was laying on the couch and she said, hey, that guy you uh, wrote that book that you wrote to called and I just about fainted. I'm like, you're kidding. And she said, no, his phone number's over there by the phone and you can call him back if you want. And see, back then, uh, it, a long distance phone call and it was expensive as hell. We didn't have cell phones or Skype or it, the internet. We didn't have any of that back then. At least, at least we didn't. So she gave me permission to call him and I remember dialing the phone and I could feel my heart beating in my head and see it in my eyes and my hands were shaking and I thought, oh, do I want to do this? Do I want to do this? And as soon as I heard his voice, you know, I knew this was what I was supposed to do. And from that point on, it was a three-year investigation. I went to New York. I sold my washer and dryer to get a bus ticket to go the first time and about jumped off the bus halfway there when I realized what I was doing sounded so crazy um, you know, I, I thought, oh, my God, what is wrong with you? You're going to New York City by yourself, you know, in my Indiana girl vision of the big, scary New York City. You're a mother and you're going to see a guy who wrote a book about aliens. He could be an axe murderer. What is wrong with you? And I almost just jumped off the bus and went home then. But I I stayed and. First thing Bud did when I got there was put me uh, on a subway and took me to Dr. Aphrodite Clamar's office. She was a psychiatrist. Maybe he wanted to have me checked out before he took me to his house. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, 
you know, it, Three years later, or, you know, I don't know how many years uh, later before it, he decided that it was important a, a case enough that he wanted to write a book about it so that he could share it with the world. And we're like, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, it, you know, we that's not that was not why we contacted him. I contacted him because I was desperate and I thought I'm going to lose my mind and I have two kids to raise and can somebody help me? And I was even kind of hoping maybe that it would, I like when I did the six hours of psychological testing at that hospital in New York, I told that doctor, I'm like, it's okay if it, you tell me I'm crazy. I'm okay with that because they make pills for that. And <laughs> that means this stuff won't, will go away. It won't happen again. Well, you have a solution. Uh, yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> but anyway, he said, well, he thought it was really important. And uh, it was an important story, and it needed to be in a book. And and like I said, at first, the family and I were like, oh, no, that's okay. We'll pass. Uh, but he convinced us, and showing us boxfuls of letters from people all over the world that have the same thing happening, you know. And uh, But the he said, well, I'll tell you what, because we were already having strange people showing up at the house, and this wasn't even a thing. Nobody, there was no, hadn't even, the book hadn't been written yet. Uh, so um, he said, we'll use the pseudonyms. Well, you, you pick a name of somebody that you like a lot, you know, that you, a name you always wanted. Well, I chose Kathy because that was my sister's name and I wow. wanted to be like her because I, I idolized her. She was 11 years older than me. So that's why I chose the name Kathy. Wow. I think she chose Laura or something, but we all picked pseudonyms. Even the name of the place, Copley Woods, is actually a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. Copley Woods doesn't exist, at least not in my world. I mean, I'm sure it is somewhere, but that's not where this happened. And then, <clears throat> you know, I I started going with him when, he, uh, of course, when he got a publisher and the publisher wanted him to do book tour. You know, that's what you had to do back then. They didn't have all these podcasts and Skype and all that. Um I went with him a couple of times because he asked me if I would, because the people who were interviewing him wanted to meet me or talk to me. And it scared the hell out of me, but I did it. Um, and I always felt nervous and would think to myself, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to, you know, do this. I don't want people looking. I don't like people looking at me. I just want to be alone. I just want to live alone and, I mean, I just want my life to be normal. I've tried to be invisible, and this is not being invisible, you know. But, uh, and uh, then there's a part of the book about the missing pregnancy that I talked to Bud about later, right before he, while he was still writing Intruders. And he thought it was really, really important for that to be in the book. I'm like, absolutely not. I do not want that in the book because, A, it sounds crazy. And I am not going to be that woman who is on the cover of the National Enquirer. I had 18 alien babies. I'm not doing that. No, I was pregnant one time by my boyfriend. Weird stuff happened. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but somehow I feel there's a connection. But no, I don't want it in the book. So then he starts showing me all these women who've been through the same thing and their letters are heart-wrenching and I know exactly what they are going through and how they feel because I've been there. So at the end of the day, I said, okay, 
And so that was in there as well. And <clears throat> eventually I wrote, my sister and I wrote the first one, Abducted, because uh had so many questions from people. When I was going around with Bud, when he was speaking on his lecture tour uh, or being interviewed, and people always ask me the same questions. So I thought, you know what, maybe if I write a book uh, and address all these questions and things, then that might help someone else. Because I feel like I'm very fortunate. I have had the support of my family, my coworkers, some of my bosses, neighbors, friends, uh, you know, because a lot of them witnessed things with us and experienced things with us. And so most people in my position do not have that kind of support. So I felt it was my duty or, you know, it's my drive to kind of pay it forward. And, you know, so that's why I, I wrote that. And then subsequently wrote the, the second one, you know, what, 20 some years later, just to show people I'm still alive. <laughs> oh, come on. I mean, anybody who's even, uh, you know, anybody who's even dipping their toes into this field knows exactly who you are and knows exactly who Bud Hopkins is. Um, yeah, you know what, what's really funny is, um, I had strange things that happened to me in my early twenties. I mean, really throughout my life, it's really scattered. And to be perfectly clear, I don't even know if they were ET related or if they were just ghost related. I, I have a good friend of mine who thinks that they are just spirit guides. I'm not sure if, 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 if you believe in that, but, um. Or high high strangeness type things. God, um, I have it. My entire life is high strangeness, and not just extraterrestrial or ET or whatever you're gonna call it. I don't know if they're extraterrestrial or not. I don't know where they came from. I don't know what they are. I've seen. I've had other strange things happen to us. A lot of paranormal activity, which really ramped up after June 30, 83, but existed prior to that. And uh, it didn't, it wasn't around the property because as we moved away, it followed us. So, um, hitchhikers. Yeah, it was part of our thing, not of where we were at. You know what I mean? And incidentally, there were witnesses to that night as well. So, there, that's all in the book too. So, people want to mistakenly think that the mark in the yard lasted a couple of years and snow melted off of it for the first year. Bud had some testing done on it, and all the results of that are in the book that he wrote, Intruders. And uh, I still have soil samples that Good. I managed to save from the tornado that wrecked my house in 2013. So, And I've had all kinds of weird stuff happen to me in my life that don't have anything to do with paranormal stuff. I mean, an extraordinary amount of not pleasant things compared to most people I know, and I still come out smelling like a rose. I mean, I I overcome it and become stronger for it. So, uh, but I, yeah, with a lot of paranormal activity, which led me to become a paranormal researcher, you know, a, be, I had joined MUFON and was in MUFON, Indiana for many years, and then got out of that and got more focused on paranormal. Somehow I feel there's a connection between the experiences I had with quote unquote ET or whatever you want to call them and paranormal. I personally feel that what I had contact with 
was more likely to have been something from some other dimension or reality rather than flying over there from a star. Just like I said, that small little craft or whatever you want to call it that was in my mom's backyard, that wasn't going to fly anywhere with six people in it. It's certainly not light years away. I have no idea what it was, but it wasn't, it didn't belong there. And uh, I don't know what it, what it's, intentions were another interesting thing is i don't ever remember walking into a ufo or walking out of one i don't know how i'm getting where i went when i've gone and i don't know how i'm getting home but i'm getting home and that's just to me it's like i've i've had visions i've had lucid dreams and thoughts over the years of different things you know and i feel it's, it's all connected all connected i honestly do feel that way i've um i have well over a thousand hours of research and again I, i'm not a ufologist i'm not a journalist but i am somebody who and this is not an exaggeration i spend four to eight hours every single day researching and whether that may be reading um extraordinary contact or listening to podcasts or reading articles or, um, but I've, I've come to the same conclusion. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go into what happened to me. Our listeners know exactly what happened to me. And um, to be perfectly honest, I think it's more paranormal than it is ET related, but who knows? I mean, um, when you said that you think that they're all connected, I sincerely feel the same way. Um, and I've come to that conclusion within the last, two years before I even started doing this. And um, it's really fascinating. Uh, part, one of the hardest things that um, your average, you know, dipping dipping their toes into the subject, um, listener to ufology and uh, just the subject in general, uh, one of the hardest things that they have trouble believing or relating to is, um, is the hybrid program. And, and it, seem, it certainly seems to be a program, a reproduction program. Um, this has been happening for, at the very least, hundreds of years. And it very well could have, ha could have been happening for thousands of years. Um, we had, a, we had a, a, a guest on in the last three weeks, a guy named Ronnie Dawson. Have you ever heard that name, Deb? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, he's, he's an, an abductee, a contactee. Uh, an experiencer who um, said that he um, was asked to have his semen used for uh, keeping alive um, or, or helping with an alien race. And to a lot of people, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. And I, and I understand that. But if you really research the subject, this has been happening for, at the very least, hundreds of years and more likely thousands of years. Um, so when you uh, when you had your missed pregnancy, do you think that that could have been related? Well, I don't know. Honestly, I do not know. I know that was strange circumstances. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it was always, I, I, I never understood why I thought about it. it. Remember when I told you it was after June 30, 83, I started to remember a lot of things. Well, when I when this when it first happened back in like seventy eight, um, I uh, we never spoke about it again. 
And of course, I never forgot about it, but we just never talked about it again. But then after June 30, 83, it became in the forefront of my mind again. And I felt compelled to tell Bud so much so that while I was telling him, I was crying because I felt so stupid and crazy telling him. And I said, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. And and poor Bud, the look on his face, I, I could tell he was mortified because I, I was obviously clearly, you know, upset and he didn't like that. He's a very compassionate person, but, um, and I don't think he knew what to do with the information I was telling him or, or my, or me, you know, and then he, I guess, I don't know if he got, um, a lot more letters after, you know, I'd already brought it up or if he had gotten some, but had just not said anything to anybody because wasn't sure what to make of it all, you know, but apparently I wasn't the only one, uh, but it, it, Mine is not your typical case that like you hear out there today where women are saying that, you know, they have 12 hybrid babies and they've seen all this and they take care of them and all that. It's that that's not the way it was for me. Um, I don't know if that means anything or not, but I know is I got pregnant by who I'm assume was my fiance at the time. I uh, assumed that I got pregnant on Christmas Eve because you got to have sex to get pregnant. <laughs> so I know I knew when I had sex. Um, I wasn't expecting to get pregnant that quickly. I wanted to have kids, but not right then. And this was a different time, you know, and I was a teenager still living with my parents because even though he was my boyfriend and we were going to get married, we didn't, you know, we didn't live together. I was still living with my parents. And uh, when I thought I was pregnant, you know, you better make sure you're pregnant before you tell my dad you're pregnant and you're living in his house and you're not married because it might get ugly, you know. So my mother took me. I had taken a pregnancy test and my mother took me to the doctor. And the doctor gave me a pelvic exam and a blood test and my I was pregnant and he even thought he thought I was farther. I felt like I was farther along than I thought I was. Now, in retrospect, now I thought I got pregnant in December, but in no, early November, there was an event that happened with me and two other girls out in the country when we saw this strange light in the sky. And I only had conscious memory of the light in the sky, but the girl who was driving the car actually remembered pulling over and getting out of the car because the light was on the ground. I didn't even remember that part. All I remembered was I had strange dreams of this black smoke-like stuff enveloping the car and someone pulling me out of the car by my legs and having, and I don't know how I got where I was, but being in some kind of hospital setting and having some kind of a medical exam that was painful. Uh, but to me, that was all just a nightmare. I didn't think, you know, that I remember when my friend turned around and looked at me and time had gone by so quickly that we had to hurry up and get back to her house and climb in the bedroom window before her parents found out we'd been out all night because they would be getting up to go to work, you know. And I remember her looking at me and saying, time flies when you're having fun, but she was being sarcastic about it. And I know the other girl that was in the back seat was still laying on the floorboard crying. So, and we were laughing at her because I had said, look, there's a UFO in the sky. And because the light was bouncing around and everything. And I was kind of laughing because I didn't think it was a UFO at that point. But she instantly freaked out. 
which was weird. I didn't even know that girl very well. That was my other friend's friend. But uh, so anyway, that had happened in November. So then I'm pregnant. Well, I'm thinking I got pregnant in December, but it could have been, you know, four or five weeks before that, which I think a doctor would feel or notice. I don't know. But uh, so, okay, Charlie and I were going to get married in June and we moved the wedding up to April. So I wouldn't be huge because, again, different time, you know, a different era. And uh, uh, I was babysitting for my sister one night. She had four little stair steps kids, you know. Her and her husband were going out, and um, so I was babysitting for her, and I remember laying on the couch, and I had my back to the TV in the open front door, again, different time, um, and I was listening, and I remember I was listening to Bob Newhart. I could even remember the show that I was listening to on TV, and I felt someone touch my back real gently, and I, and I startled a little bit. But I instantly thought, oh, it's just Lisa, my little niece. You know, she's like th three or four or something like that. And I I fell asleep. Uh, I fell immediately asleep. Well, when I woke up the next morning, I was no longer on the couch. I was in Lisa's bed, which is where I would crash when I babysit. And uh, immediately woke up thinking, oh, my God, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my baby. And I was freaking out, but I couldn't make my brain my brain was all scrambled and I couldn't focus on why I was feeling that way and I go I remember going to the bathroom to make sure everything looked normal and it did but I could not shake that weird uneasy feeling that something was wrong it was just like right on the surface I just couldn't remember you know but it I could feel it and um I mentioned it to my friend who was also the friend that had been in November had been out driving around, you know, same girl. And I kept telling her how weird I was feeling. Something wasn't right. And she's like, look, let's come. I got to go to Planned Parenthood and get my birth control pills. She was a year older than me. And she goes, come with me. They'll give you a free pregnancy test. And, and then when it's positive, you can quit working. So I'm like, OK. So I went with her. And they gave me a pregnancy test. And when I had, uh, when the results came back, the lady came out and she said, um, well, your test was negative. So if you don't start your period in a week, then we suggest that you contact your physician, your family doctor. And all I heard for a while there was just your test was negative. And I just freaked out uh, inside, not outwardly, until I got out in the car at Deanna and uh, Dee Dee's car. And I'm just banging my hands on the on the dashboard and uh, she's like, she doesn't know what to do with me. She's she's trying to think of something. And she says, well, tell your mom something's wrong and take have her take you to the doctor. So I went home and I told my mom I was spotting, which I wasn't. But that was just to get her to take me to the doctor, you know, that something was wrong. So she did. Had another pregnancy test and another pelvic exam. And then the doctor's like, you know, put your clothes on and took us into his little office where they talk to you, me and my mom. And he says, well, you're not pregnant. Now, he didn't say you never were pregnant. He just said you're not pregnant. And first thing my mom said, well, what, did she have a miscarriage? What's going on? Does she need a DNC? He said, no, she doesn't need a DNC. And he said, we see this from time to time. I remember his words. He said, we see this from time to time. You're young, you'll have other children, and my advice to you is to forget this ever happened. 
you're healthy and you, you'll have other kids. Mm. And I remember thinking, dude, I'm not ever going to forget this. I was just, you know, I didn't want to be pregnant at first and it happened. And then we kind of got used to, okay, well, we're going to be parents, you know? And so I was kind of getting used to the idea and then all of a sudden it's gone. And, uh, so I'm freaking out and, uh, we, en we ended up getting married in April anyways, because we figured we were going to get married anyway. And, you know, uh, a year later I got pregnant and had my son Rob. So, but, uh, it was just something that I never, we never, one, we left that room that day, I, other than talking with my fiance about it, we never spoke of it again, never. And, uh, I had nightmares, you know, about someone taking my baby from me and fighting a, a, one my baby, you know. I even to the point I knew it was a female, a girl. I knew that baby was a girl. And I ended up having two boys. I never did have a, another girl. But for some reason or another, I, already, I knew this baby was female. And I named her. I gave her a name. I can't remember what the pseudonym was in Intruders, but the name actually was Elizabeth. So... Uh, but anyway, so that's my pregnancy story. And like I said, it was put away in the back of my mind and no one spoke of it again until June 30, 83. And then I started remembering it again. And then I had a couple of different things that I thought I called considered to be dreams uh, where I'd seen her. And then. uh one time wasn't a dream. I was wide awake. This was years later. And she was probably maybe, she would be mm, maybe 10 or 11 at that point. And I uh, was sitting in the kitchen. I was sitting in my kitchen having a cigarette and a cup of coffee. And I was just kind of gazing out the back patio door. And this is the apartment that I lived in. I had a little patio with a privacy fence around it. and. I happened to notice a kid. It had to be a kid because they weren't very tall. And I could see there was wide enough slat in the privacy fence that I could see her. I could see an eye. I could see that she was dressed all in black. Even her shoes were black. And then she had really white hair and a really big blue eye. And I thought, what is that kid doing? Who is that kid looking at me? And then I thought, like, something is weird about this kid. And I stood up and as I walked over to the patio door and I was going to run out the door and check this child out that was staring at me through the slot because she gave me a vibe, you know, and she took off running. So I took off running after her. I flipped that gate latch up and I, I ran out the back gate and I looked both ways behind the, the buildings and there was nobody there. So I took off down to the outer edge because I lived right on the edge of the I was in the last apartment in that whole row of buildings so I got down to the edge and I ran down I mean I ran all over the place and there was no kid anywhere to be seen and I'm out of breath and as I'm walking back to my apartment it dawned on me was that her <gasps> you know I mean because she gave me some kind of vibe when I first noticed her something was different and then popped in my head oh my god was that her and, you know, I think that's the last time I have to be honest with you, though, 
there's there's times where I'm in a big crowd of people, you know, especially if I'm traveling somewhere and I see somebody that looks like she did. I wonder, is that is that you? <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, it's like it, I I would imagine somebody that's given a kid up for adoption and lives in the same area would feel have this same kind of thing like I like I do like I still have hope that somewhere she's out there and I'll see her so that's my pregnancy story when you hear the whole thing from beginning to end it doesn't sound quite as crazy as the National Enquirer headlines would like for you to think it is and I think that mine is probably the norm of these kinds of reports rather than the exception and I don't know what it means, but it means something. Well, for the record, it doesn't sound crazy at all to me. Um, and I guess we can leave it at that. I mean, if if this sounds strange to you guys, <clears throat> just do a little bit more research. This has been happening for hundreds of years and more likely thousands of years. Um, Linda Malmhau constantly talks about how... Um, these alien races came here and altered the genes of um, humans uh, for whatever reason um, through genetics and sperm and eggs to um, essentially create what we are today. And I know, again, I know, I know how insane that sounds. Um, it's one of the hardest things for people to comprehend or believe. Um, one thing that I had a lot of difficulty believing, uh, Deb, was the reptilian thing. You know, like, I, I, I totally understand. And, and we're not trying to convert anybody. We're just trying to inform people. Um, truly, this has been happening for a very, very long time. And if you do some research, you'll, you'll, you'll understand that. Um, you know, we, we got a little bit of kickback with that Ronnie Dawson episode because he claimed that they wanted his sperm for one reason or the other. Um, it certainly seems to happen more often to women in the research that I've done, but it, it's also happening with men and sperm. Um, it's a very common occurrence, more common than most people might realize. So um, I do want to I mean, circle. Oh, a on. lot of people don't want to talk about this part of it. And so that's why you you may not hear about it as much as you, you know, you'd think, but it's because people don't want to talk about it. Well, Would you great. want to talk about it? You know what I mean? <laughs> Not, so I'm just saying. Exactly. So. I, I, Deb, I think you might have saw like kind of how I felt about that. And uh, we don't have to talk about it. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's very uh, it's a very powerful and sensitive subject. Um, clearly, I mean, um, and that's like you and I, I know you don't know, Ronnie, but um, I believe you with 100% certainty, and I feel that way about Ronnie. Um, this thing has been happening for a long time, and if you guys could just keep an open mind and try to, uh, you know, be sympathetic to people who have to go through this, you might understand it a little bit better instead of just being so, you know, closed-minded. You have, you have to realize that these people, in some sense of the word, are victims. You know, they didn't choose to be abducted. Do, do you get what I mean, Deb? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you and your sister certainly never chose it. And then even your mother, um, I'm not sure if you want to talk about this. And if we don't, we can skip it. But even your mom, like a lot of people don't realize that abduction and um, 
contactees and experiencers, it's it's a familial, not not familiar, familiar, mm -hmm. familial, meaning yeah. it's generational. Um, do, do, do you care to share like what your mom said? Yeah, no, uh, no, I don't mind. I didn't really know about my mom until Bud came along. She never talked about it. And my mother was adopted when she was two. She was in an orphanage in Louisville. Um, but before, I, after she was adopted, um, you know, she just, Bud had asked her if she'd ever had any strange things happen in her life. She's like, well, I was adopted at two by a, a sergeant in the army and taken to China. And, <laughs> you know, that was weird. But, uh she uh, had recalled running through the woods at some point as a child and being chased by a, a little boy with blonde hair and big brown eyes who she thought was going to get her, whatever that means. And um, that's really all I remember about what she told Bud. But it was she has she had a scar on her shin a scoop mark on her shin and it was identical to mine. I thought mine was a birthmark because I'd had it so long and it was just like my mother's. But my mom was telling Bud that she got that scoop mark because when the boy was chasing her, she, somehow she fell or something was in her leg and then she pulled it out of her leg and uh, like, I don't know, a stick or something. And then I had, uh, remembered an experience when I was missing when I was like six for the whole day with again when it was a little boy with blonde hair and brown eyes who wanted me to play with him and then he, during the course of playing with him somehow he pokes me in the shin with something that hurts and I get scared and I try to run away so you know I mean it was similar in that respect uh like I, we don't know that much about my mom's family because you know she was adopted so i don't know how far back that would go uh i know that my mother had my sister she was very mom was 17 when she had kathy and then she didn't get pregnant again for almost 12 years i mean for 11 years and then she finally when they moved she had me and then you know um so that was kind of strange she had gone to the doctor and they told her that she couldn't have kids anymore and uh, I guess they were wrong because she ended up three more. But, you know, I came along first. And then, uh, but then, the uh, you know, I had a lot of female problems and ended up having a total hysterectomy, I think, 1992, 1992, somewhere around in there. And during the hysterectomy, both my kids were C-section too, by the way. The first child that I had, my son, my first son, uh, I had eclampsia and I went into a coma and I died on the table and he was, we, I was revived. It was a, it was a big thing, but, uh, so I ended up with two C-sections. And then when I had my hysterectomy, the, I remember the doctor told me my insides were trashed and that was his exact word. And if somebody wants to dig up my medical records from way back in the day, they are more than welcome to, and they will see that is what that man said and wrote. He said, my ovaries were the size of green olives and they were wrapped in scar tissue and had grown to other organs. And he'd never seen such a mess in his life. He couldn't save a shred of ovary. He'd tried, you know, for the hormones, but he had to take out both ovaries, tubes, the uterus and my cervix. And uh, he said he was amazed that I ever got pregnant the first time. 
because my ovaries were so tiny and my uterus was so small that he could barely get his hand in there to do the hysterectomy. And he made some comment about, you know, you'd never know what to look at. You know, I was, you know, I was a lot fatter than I am now too, but I mean, he was shocked at how small I was inside and that my female organs were so tore up. And uh, it was odd because right after I had like a week, either a week after or a week before the hysterectomy, there was an event that happened at the farmhouse with my late husband, our roommate and her daughter. And we all saw this thing walk down the road towards our house. And, uh, you know, after that night, it seems like my experiences on the physical level came to a screeching halt. I didn't get contact. I didn't have any weird stuff happen to me for years and years after that. I had, it, it, it seemed to transition from a physical to a, I call metaphysical, you know, I, that's when I started really getting into the, the paranormal activity, the lucid dreams that I started to have and, and stuff like that. That's when that all started. So I just, I shifted from, from the physical level to a, a different level in my contact at that point when I had the hysterectomy. So I don't know if there's anything to that. I don't know if that means anything. It is what it is. Figure it out for yourself, whatever you was are comfortable believing, you know, but it's, it's a fact. And so. So could we circle back quickly? Um, Cause I've always been so fascinated with this part of it. Um, I've heard you talk about this about a half a dozen times. And, and, and seriously, um, w when I am, lucky enough to get somebody so prominent in this field like yourself i do the research uh well whatever version of my research may be and to me the best way to get a feel for our guests is not only reading their books or or their literature or articles it's it's by listening to podcasts um I, and that may so sound silly but in interviews like um I've, I've heard you tell the story six different times six different ways do you mind really quickly or briefly describing what you saw in the road that night? Like, I, I remember um, mm -hmm. you mentioned one time that initially you thought that it might have been like a small deer. Yes, I did. I thought it was a deer. Um, I was standing at the end of the road. This is a dark country road. So there wasn't a lot of light, maybe some moonlight, you know, but there wasn't a lot of other lights. And I could see something walking towards me and I thought, what in the hell is that you know and I'm trying to focus on it and see it in the dark and it's starting to pick up some of the house from the lights from the house and I think maybe the moonlighter as it's getting a little closer and I thought to myself that I thought it was a deer straight on head on skinny deer you know and its head kind of cocked at me a little bit to cock to the side you know and my my late husband at the time he had a ham radio uh portable ham radio in his hand because he's a ham radio operator and he had a big camcorder which they were big and clunky back then because we had heard a beeping sound coming from the cattle barn next to the house our where our cows were and uh he was trying to record the beeping sound on the camcorder and he was also talking on the 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 two-way radio the ham radio to another guy because he, they, he thought he was seeing some lights to the north and this and the guy that he was talking to, I think 
if I don't re- if I recall correctly, I think the guy was seeing it and he thought it was the Northern Lights. Uh, but we, you know, we live in Kokomo, Indiana. It's really very. We could seen them here before, but it's very rare. Um, and at one point, my my roommate, uh, the girl who's living with us, her little girl, you can hear her on the audio tape. She says, "Mama, what's that in the road?" or something like that, you know. And uh, then she screams, and you can hear us scream. And then the next thing you know. 18 minutes of the tape is gone. I mean, the viewfinder with the timer thing on it literally jumps 18 minutes. How that even happens, I have no idea. I am not smart enough to know how any of that works, but it that's what it did. And um, that, so and that was just a strange night all the way around. Mm. And uh, I don't, uh, like I said, after that night, not really much physical stuff happened after that. And as far as the tape goes, I had the tape for a while and I think we gave it to my mother, but I'm not sure what happened to the tape that, you know, the, where the, where it jumped and it would be a full VCR tape, not, not a little hiatus or anything like that. So. Yeah. So, so for anybody new to the subject and, and I think that's predominantly what our, our, listeners are um to be honest um that's a very common occurrence if, if, if you guys have not heard that before if you guys just do a little bit of research i'm not trying to like make you guys do anything you don't want to do but if you're curious about the subject uh that happens quite a bit i mean historically it's happened uh quite often so just to circle back uh to something earlier that you mentioned um so you mentioned that you saved soil samples for yourself and thank God, you mm-hmm. did. I'm so glad. Do you, do, you, do you still have them in your possession? Yeah, I still have okay. some. Um, Thank goodness. And, you know, I, I mean, we got hit by a tornado in 2013, and it literally destroyed their house, and I lost probably 95% of everything that I had. But the, soil sam- the, the good part was we had just moved there three months before, and in the process of moving and downsizing and everything, I had bought these plastic Tupperware things that go underneath mattresses and, or under beds and also um, had stored a lot of stuff in the old cedar chest that I'd gotten from my mom. And uh, while the cedar chest was wrecked on the outside and it cost me $300 to have it restored, but it was worth it, um, those soil samples were in a box in a plastic box down in the bottom of that cedar chest, everything had gotten condensed and stored away properly beforehand. So I lost dishes and, and linens and furniture and, and cars and stuff like that. But my kids baby books with their little bits of hair and their bronze handprints and their bronze shoes. They were all in those plastic things that were up under the bed. And while there were debris on top of them, we were able to dig them out and save them. So I was lucky that I got to keep all the stuff I could never replace and got all new of all the stuff that I could, you know. Absolutely. And for you to have done that is so intuitive. And well, Let me tell you what's weird. Let me tell you what's weird. Uh, First of all, let me advise to everyone, go around, take pictures and videos of each room for insurance purposes. And that is so that you can remember what you had when you have to replace it because it is harder than you think. But right before we moved, uh, we didn't think we were going to sell that house that quickly. 
and we put it on the market and it was sold in one day. So I had to scurry, first of all, find somewhere else to live because we weren't ready, get rid of all this crap. And I had four birds. I had a, two cockatiels, a blue front Amazon that I'd uh, inherited from my father and a, 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 a cockatoo, an umbrella cockatoo. Casper was your name. Wow. So, you know, we're all getting ready to pack it up and everything. And so it comes to me this one day, these birds cannot move with us. And I think to myself, why wow, that's crazy. I, they got to come with us. They can't. And it kept coming to me. They can't move. You've got to find them new homes. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I told my husband and he said, good luck with that. You know, especially with that screaming Mimi Casper that you know, like, <laughs> loud. I want you to know within two weeks. I had all four of those birds homes and not only were they homes, they were homes with friends or homes with people where I could go and visit them and knew where they were going to go or family. Okay. And then three months after we moved into the house, the tornado hit and destroyed the house. And uh, it wasn't even three whole months. Uh, and that if I still had those birds, all of them would have been dead. Every single one of them, because the only thing left of that house was three brick walls and a bunch of crap in the middle that didn't get sucked away by the tornado because it had brick and crap all over it. Wow. So, and I, and we were in the closet and Thank the closets God. were standing. So yeah, really, I didn't have a scratch on me. An You're F3 kidding. tornado wiped my house out. I was buried under the debris. Fire department had to come and dig me out and I didn't have a scratch on me, but my brain was fried. I still had, I'm still having EMDR therapy for the PTSD, but it's a lot better. But yeah, I couldn't close my eyes for three weeks because every time I did, I heard it. You're indestructible. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm a cat with nine lives and I've spent about four or five now, I think. <laughs> wow. So uh, really quickly, and um, if, you know, I, I can talk for hours, especially to somebody like yourself. If at any point you um, want to wrap it up, please. It, it's I, I, I would not perceive that as rude. And uh, I know how valuable your time is. Um, but I do want to um, circle back to physical evidence. So in my opinion, in all the research that I've done, anytime somebody's had a close encounter, and when I say close encounter, I just don't, I, I, I don't mean just seeing a crap. I mean close encounter of like the fourth kind, like fourth and up. Um, you had not only damage to your eyeballs, um, you you had a lot of radiation problems, um, thinning of your nails. Um, did did you have thinning of your hair? I know that's a common occurrence. Yes, my hair. Um, it's always been fine, but there was plenty of it. But after that, it got very thin, and you know I have bald spots, kind of like I hide them now. But and then my fingernails and toenails had horizontal. Uh, now I've got the the up and down, uh, you know, lines on them. Now I'm old, but I had horizontal lines across them for a long time. I still have them on my big toes. Uh, and they're very thin like paper. They used to be, uh, better than that, but now they're, they'll peel off easy. Um, I'm, I'm just going to out myself right now. I have my whole top is denture on top because my teeth just went to hell and I lost them. And, um, <clears throat> you know, for about a year after that, I had, after June 30, 83, 
I had rashes, uh, diarrhea, intermittent, intermittent low-grade fevers for no reason whatsoever, intermittent swollen glands for no reason whatsoever. Uh, I'd run to the doctor and they couldn't find anything wrong with me. Uh, developed all kinds of allergies that I never had before. And um, little, I'd get rashes on my cheeks and on my chest out of the blue for no reason. And then they'd come, my eyes would start to get watery and red and burn. And then like an hour later, they'd be fine. This was all the time. And um, it, I had no immune system. It seemed like every creeping crud that came through town, I got. I spent an entire year and a half being sick. I actually even got Legionnaire's disease. Um, I don't know if you uh, know what that is, but it's a, like a upper respiratory infection. But it's like a fungus or something. I don't, or you know, it's different. Well, the, the point I'm trying to make, Deb, is that these are all very significant reactions to people who are exposed to radiation. And for anybody, you know, who doesn't understand the relationship with radiation and the ET, in my opinion, Deb, and I don't want to speak for you, um, but my interpretation of why the eight-foot circle on your uh, parents' property wouldn't grow grass and it would melt snow in the winter for years is because of radiation. Um, earlier, you mentioned that you saved samples of the soil yourself. Mm -hmm. You, you we're not the only one who was interested in the soil. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you know where I'm going with this, but there was a man, I'm almost certain it was a man in a suit. Oh yeah, the, when the, yeah, that was one of the, remember I said that we had people, weird people at the house before the book was even written. One of our neighbors called us one day after we got home, we'd been gone and she said there was a strange man out in the yard messing in the backyard where that mark is and my mom's like well what do he look like and she said he was he was wearing a dark suit which was why he stood out to her as odd and he was carrying what looked like a briefcase only big and he was knelt down at the uh mark in the yard and she did couldn't tell what he was doing there was some small woods between the house and and between the two houses so i don't know what he was doing but yeah he was out there messing around i don't know if he took some of it or what and then we had daddy we were sitting at the kitchen table dad was looking out sitting in his chair and somebody pulled up along the side of the house went around the turnaround and then as they pulled like so they were facing the back of the house in their car they got out of their car and they ran over towards the area and took some pictures of the back of our house and the mark in the yard and then jumped back in their car and left and they didn't they didn't look like business type people. We have no idea who they were or what they were doing. Well, so yeah, we've had some interest, strange people. And I've had people come to my house and knock on my door, guys in a, a man in a business suit, nice, sharp looking guy, a very pleasant and very well spoken, had one question. He wanted to ask me about the phone call. I think it was about the phone call when I was pregnant. I can't remember if that's exactly what it was. He had one question he wanted to ask me, which he asked, and then he left. And I'm mm -hmm. like, and then I had somebody, uh, I think he said that I asked him, I think I asked him where he got my address or, or phone or how he knew where he was. And he said, Bud told him. And I thought, no, that's not right. It's a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't, Bud would. Bud would not have done that. No. Come on. So, yeah. 
Right. Um, yeah. So I've had a lot of strange visitors. I can only imagine. Here. I mean, yeah, I can only imagine that the, the amount of people that were showing up to your parents' property. Um, so it wasn't just yourself and your sister who clearly, I mean, to me, very clearly showed signs of being exposed to radiation, which, again, is associated anytime a craft or an ET um, is, is very close to a human being. Um, but your dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. I don't think I don't think we touched on this much. So my, really quick, and then I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, or I'll let you uh, expand on this. <laughs> Oh, uh, you know, when I told you that my dog, I found my dog outside, she was supposed to be in the garage and the door was open. So I knew she'd escaped. uh, And I did find her under dad's ladder truck back there. And whatever got her spooked and under that truck to the point where she wouldn't come out to me had to be pretty substantial because she was my dog and she would be all over me all the time. And uh, within... A few weeks of that night, she started to go downhill real quick. And we first thought she had mange because the hair was falling out of the back of her, uh, you know, off off her back. And it kind of looked mangy, you know, how mange looks. But uh, then it started falling off in places where she couldn't rub. And it started, she started developing these black sores on her back that were, that looked ugly. And we noticed that uh, her teeth were coming out. And her eyes were kind of uh, foggy looking like she was blind. Uh, Started losing a lot of weight, not acting right, seeming like she was in pain. And eventually we had to put her down. We put her down and, you know, we didn't spend money on her to be tested or anything. I don't know that we even connected uh, all of it at that point. You know, what happened to her and for completely i do know that once i made the connection or once i think wonder if that had something to do with why she went downhill so quickly and you know her gums were bleeding and her i mean we found a tooth in the food bowl you know and it's like i thought to myself well what if you know what if it did have something to do with why she's like that and i was out there What's it going to do to me? Like, am I going to be in that same condition one day? You know, and it stills in the back of my mind. I'm 63 years old now. And every time I get a weird thing happen to me and I've had some weird physical things happen, I always in the back of my mind, I'm like, is this what's going to take me out? Is this, did this cause that? You know what I mean? It's always going to be in the back of my mind. Mm. Yes. It, I think that it, I think that it had a tremendous effect on Penny. And I think that's why she went downhill so bad, so quick. Cause she wasn't that old. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah, she was a relatively young dog at the very least middle age. Um, but yeah, I mean, guys, if, if, if you can't connect the dots by now, I mean, um, Deb's older sister, her dog, they all had severe, severe, severe damage to their eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, do do you think that's you know, I mean, for someone to to develop the um, level of cataracts that you did at such a young age is unheard of. I mean, yeah, the I mean, it, it happens, but it's yeah, it's not very common, very rare. Yeah, you should I mean, have seen the look on the first eye doctor that I went to get my eyes examined with, and he was like, "Oh, I, I, you need to go see another kind of doctor," <laughs> you know, because I was just going to the ophthalmologist or yeah. the optometrist. Sure. So, yeah, um, and there's 
there's a couple more things briefly if we can um sure. I, I heard in one interview so i've listened to six i only heard you <laughs> bless I only your heard, heart bless uh, dude you're uh <laughs> sorry i i call my mom dude i call my wife dude i call i call everybody dude we're good okay perfect perfect <laughs> okay um but come on <laughs> you're you're a, you're a rock star in this community um so but i heard you mention one time very very briefly when you were talking about high strangeness um so for anybody who doesn't understand what high strangeness is like what how would you describe high strangeness like the paranormal activity paranormal um this this could be um uh premonitions it could be dreams that you're not sure that are <clears throat> dreams I, i've had dreams that i mentioned yeah. in, in, in oh my, my gosh pre pre previous ep previous episode that were so vivid so well, strange like the bees that came in my kids rooms that that one day that uh my my son was screaming bloody murder this is when we lived at mom and dad's at the house where the mark in the yard happened um you know, and we ran in there and that room was literally like dripping with bees. The weird part about it was they were so all lethargic. You like scoop them up in your hands and they wouldn't do anything to you. It's mm -hmm. like they were half asleep. And dad had painted the window shut inadvertently a couple years before and had never corrected the problem yet. There were no attic doors or any. So there's no way that all these bees could have gotten in this house. This was a sandstone you know, house. It wasn't a clapboard house either. So that was bizarre. And then uh, the time that I found a, I was missing, my boyfriend had given me a ring and it would been missing for several days. And then I was vacuuming in the boy's room one day and I suddenly was overwhelmed with this feeling that that ring is in there in the room. The ring is in the room. And I was I've eventually I pulled up the carpeting. I moved the beds around, didn't find the ring. I pried up part of the carpeting, kept pulling, still didn't see the ring, but was still certain it was there. Pulled up the padding underneath that was stapled to the floor and almost to the middle of the room, there was my ring. How in the hell it got there? And not only that, how the hell did I know that it was there? You know, you literally had to pull the carpet up to get it. it that, that's what I mean. What would what would what would have made you think that that it would have been? I have no idea. It was just something kept telling me it's the ring is here. The ring is here. Yeah, I've had stuff like that happen for decades now i mean it's almost like okay now when it happens i've learned to pay attention and listen and trust it because you know it, it ain't done me wrong so yeah <laughs> and i and i recorded evps and and it disembodied voices i've got some super good when i started getting into paranormal research which i said all of this is connected and the only common denominator that i have found in 30 years is the experiencer so there's something different about us that attracts all this weird stuff but um i've gotten some of the best evps I'm so tickled that I was able to get them. My paranormal group used to call me the antenna. And I don't know why. Sometimes my EV, my recorder would be the only one that had <laughs> the EVP on it. But the other people's who had recorders in the room with us all at the same time, theirs wouldn't be on it. So I don't know. Wow. That always that didn't always happen, but that did occasionally. Usually it'd be an EVP like say, hey, Deb, how you doing? 
I'm like, what? <laughs> wow. That's absolutely incredible. So there's one last thing, and I'll mm -hmm. let you go because um, we're on the boat, or we're, we're both on Eastern, which rarely mm -hmm. happens, but um, we've been talking for a long time, and uh, I'm sure that you want to enjoy your weekend. Um, <laughs> this really, really stuck out to me, and it's never happened to me, but it has happened to somebody who else, so who, who, who also is on my top 10 list, which I'll probably never get on. But uh, he's a friend of yours, and he's somebody I've always been incredibly interested in. His name is Jim Sparks. Mm. Um, we don't have to talk a whole lot about him if you don't want to, I, you know, because we do need to wrap it up. But mm -hmm. at the very least, um, I'll say this. I believe in Jim Sparks the same way that I believe in you. Is that fair to say? Well, yeah. I mean, that's how you feel. That's, And I mean, that's... I, I haven't talked to Jimmy in years, you know, okay. it's been a long time since I've talked to him. Well, well, that's how I feel. But, but mm -hmm. Jim, um, mentioned, uh, multiple times. And again, I believe him a hundred percent the same way that I believe in Deb, but he claimed, and I believe that they were trying to teach him, um, a language telepathically which is, this This is how they typically communicate, mm -hmm. um, by symbols. Mm -hmm. Did you also share this experience? Because I, I heard you in an interview say that they were showing you symbols, either mm -hmm. in a dream state or typically at nighttime, mm -hmm. that later on ended up in crop circles all mm -hmm. over the world. And, and yeah. specifically in Europe. Yeah. That's that's correct. I uh, for a few years after the June 3083 incident, which was like my watershed incident, that's like when everything changed and I changed. Um, I would be awakened in the middle of the night by either an image or a phrase or something that was badgering me and I could not sleep. I could not go back to sleep until I drew it or wrote it down. Same thing during day and waking hours, I would be like driving to work and all of a sudden this thought would come into my head and it would not allow me to focus on anything else until I wrote it down or drew it. So I started carrying a notebook with me in the car and I would have pull over and and do it and then I'd be fine. And uh, some of those symbols, you know, Bud didn't put any, I don't think he put any of them in intruders because I think he wanted to use them for control purposes if other people did, you know, drew things. Uh, now that's that ship sailed a long time ago. And so, I mean, I have some of them on my website. You can look at them and some in the book. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I some of those symbols, I feel as if someone told me what they symbolized or what they meant, you know. And the, as far as the crop circle stuff goes, I started noticing that a lot of most of my drawings were done in the 80s and the crop circles didn't start to land until the 90s. And I pointed this out to Colin Andrews, who's a lovely man, and I feel I, I can call him a friend. And I'm, I'm not the only experiencer who's done that and who that's happened to. So and even though the consensus is now that most crop circles are man-made even the ones that are really beautiful, if if they're not man-made, obviously, you know, I know where that thought came from. But if they are man-made, but they still resemble a drawing that I had that no one knew about at the time. Who put that image in their head? 
That's the question I have. And that's the question that Colin asks. You know, somebody had to put that vision in their head, make them go out there and put that in that crop. Just like somebody put that that image in my head and made me draw it on paper. So I still think there's something mystical and weird and kind of cool about it. And I'm not quite sure what it all means. I mean, I could speculate. I have speculations and my own personal thoughts. But at the end of the day, I don't know. And if I said I did, I'd be making up stuff. So <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Sure. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's hard to make sense of any of this, really. Um, yeah. But to be very clear, and I'll put this out here for, for our listeners. I believe in the crop circle phenomenon 100%. Is, it, is this phenomenon faked and copied and mimicked by humans? Of course. Of course. But if you guys are still unsure about it, reach out to me. I can email you or we could do it through Facebook. We could do it however you want. I can send you multiple videos on it happening in real time caught on camera that I believe uh, throughout the research that I've done that they are that they are authentic. Um, the crop circle oh. phenomenon for, for many, many years was very real before later on it was mimicked. Uh, you were and you know that? what? Yeah, there there's a lot of really good research out there on the crop circle phenomenon. And there are there's a lot of scientific research. There are some crop circles. There's actually changes to the plants themselves at the cellular level. There's changes in the nodes of the plants that can't be explained. Those most definitely are anomalous in in nature, for sure. I mean, it's out there. The research is out there. You just gotta find it you just have to look you just mm -hmm. have to dig and if you guys want to learn more about this phenomenon check out earth files either their website linda molenhow every single wednesday night um or just go to her website um she is the hardest working person in ufology alive and if you guys want to learn more about deb and her experiences you guys have to buy this book i'm telling you i've read 40 books on the subject it should be more but i've only read 40 this is one of the best i've ever read it's i mean it's absolutely phenomenal you guys will learn so much from it it's called extraordinary contact life beyond intruders by deborah jordan cobble uh deb it was an absolute honor and i'm not hmm. i'm not just saying that it was an absolute honor to meet you. I never thought that I would meet you. And you are so kind, so gracious with your time. And you are absolutely fearless. Because um, I, I haven't experienced a fraction of what you have. And it took me 36 years to say anything. And you've been through a lot. And you're not afraid of any of it and i think it's really admirable and uh i think a lot of people really respect that about you and really admire you for being able to be so brave and i think you've helped thousands of people through your book i hope you uh, realize that i i thank you for so much for all those kind words and yeah and i appreciate it so more than you know and yeah that's my whole intention is to help people so to know that i have helped one person if i just helped one person i did what i came here to do and that so i'm i'm just so grateful i'm grateful to be able to 
to do that. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to come and talk about all this here tonight. I appreciate it. I appreciate you and what you're doing. And, um, you know, um, it's my hope that we'll slowly chipping away at the stigma around all of this so that people will feel more comfortable coming and speaking out about it. It's changed a lot in 40 years. It's better than it was, but it's still got a ways to go. And, uh, you know, that's my intention. That's my uh, destiny, I think, in life now to just to help people feel comfortable speaking out. So. Well, you're an absolute rock star. You're very kind. You're very (laughs) smart. And um, I think that you I hope I just really hope you realize because you're so modest and you're down to earth. You the same way that Bud saved your life. You're saving people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, I hope you, I, I hope you I hope you get that. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, That's it's true. Well, I'll let you go. It's Friday night. We have uh, hold on. Is it Saturday? It's Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, it's Saturday. I, work, I had I to work, look at my phone, too. So <laughs> I work seven days a week. I'm I'm all I'm all turned around. But it was such an honor to meet you. I'm going to reach back out to you tomorrow. I'm going to let you enjoy tonight. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. If you guys are enjoying this episode, the best way you can help us is to leave us a five-star review. Um, It really, really, really does help. Um, Also, like, share, um, tell your friends. I mean, if, if you enjoy this type of content, we're doing this twice a week. Also, check out our other podcast. Brain Matter. If you have a story that you'd like to share, the best way to contact me is through Facebook. My name on Facebook is Aliens, UFOs, one word, space, ghost stories.